0: Would you stand as we honor the word of God? I'm going to just read the first four verses in Genesis chapter 24, and we'll be going through, the, through half the chapter this morning, looking at a bride for, <clears throat> bride for Isaac. I'm, I've been wrestling with my <clears throat> asthma for about a month and a half, so I'll, I'll, hopefully you can bear with that. Here we are, Genesis chapter 24. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife For my son Isaac. So, Lord, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, the things I prepared, I pray you'd break them fresh for us, that we might hear and have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. That, Lord, you have given to us the truth. And you said the truth is what sets us free. You said that your word is a sharp, two edged sword, it's able to divide between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. That you have given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we are so thankful the riches of your love has been given to us through our faith, believing you, trusting you, obeying you, walking with you. So I pray this would, this would be the, what you're doing among us. And, Lord, we who are believers in this room, we are also praying, not just for this morning, but, Lord, that our lives are going to be that, those testimonies, those witnesses, the words from our mouth, the actions of our heart, of our hands and, and the attitudes of our hearts would be the reflection of who you are so that others might come, be drawn to you, be wooed to you to come and know you, even in this room. To anyone, Lord, here who does not yet know Jesus as their Savior, therefore they don't know your love, the forgiveness, the freedom, that you give through our faith. I pray, we pray, Lord, speak to them this morning and draw them to yourself. Woo them, Lord, by your love, that they might be another one waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. So bless the time we have now in Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. So uh, a bride for Isaac, so I'm gonna be sharing a little bit on marriage, but really this extends way beyond that. But this, here's this couple, Zelmyra and Herbert Fisher. They have the Guinness, Book, Guinness World Record for the longest marriage. They were married on May 13, 1924. In 2008, they earned the record for longest marriage at 84 years, 2008. In 2011, Herbert passed away at 105 years old. And a few years later, in 2013, Zelmyra followed at 105 years old as well. When Herbert passed away, the couple had been married 87 years. Before their, <clears throat> before their death, they were interviewed about their, their secrets to everlasting love. And their answers are astoundingly simple. And we'll, I'll give you a few more next week. But here's, In fact, I'll send you the article if you want. Just email me. But here's a couple of questions. Is there anything you would do differently after more than 80 years of marriage? Couples, think about that. Here's what, here's what they said. We wouldn't change a thing. And I love what they say. There's no secret to our marriage. We just did what was needed for each other and our family. And I have found in 34 years of marriage that really when you boil it down, it's, you just got to do us neat. You got to stay at it, basically. Then they asked this question in light of Valentine's Day. What is your best Valentine's Day memory? So couples, think about that a moment. Zalmira said, I cook dinner every day. Herbert left work early and surprised me. He cooked dinner for me. And she said, he is a very good cook. Now, Herbert then said, I said that I was going to cook dinner for her and that she could relax. The look on her face and the fact that she cleared her plate made my day. (laughs) Simple things, really. Love isn't complicated. And so, this whole thing of their relationship, but... Genesis 24 is an absolutely beautiful, what I would call miraculously heavenly love story. In fact, the Bible is a love story. It's a love story about God's commitment to us and what he did to woo us to himself. In Genesis 24, you have the love of a father for a son. That is, Abraham loved Isaac. God told him when he took him up to Genesis, in Genesis 22, the, the son whom you love, take him and offer him. It's the love of a servant for his master. And the master. We're going to look at the servant this morning. Eliezer loved his master Abraham. That is evident in what he's doing in responding to this commission. And it's also the love of a bridegroom for his bride. Notice in, cha- in, in chapter 24 of, of Genesis, it says, verse 67, Then Isaac brought her, that is Rebekah, into his mother's tent. Now, this is the first time he's really met her. And he took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. He loved her. And it lasted for a long time. So we who believe, that is the church, the body of Christ, we are the beautiful bride of Christ. There's many different pictures that were given. But we are the bride of Christ. And when you think of a wedding, and I've done a lot of weddings, that, that moment when everyone sort of turns a little bit and here comes the bride. It's this fabulous, the focus of the ceremony is that bride. And let me say to you, we are the focus of God's love. We are the focus of his love. We'll look at another scripture next week. And so 2 Corinthians eleven two, 2, Paul says, I'm jealous for you, the church, with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul understood he's not the focus. The bride, and he's, he's just wanting to help the bride get to the altar purely. Revelation 19 Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. These are things that are going to be coming for for the bride of Christ. Revelation 21, 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plates came to me and talked to me and said, you gotta come. You gotta come. I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Imagine that. You gotta come. Yeah, there's some bad things, but you gotta come. You gotta see this thing. See, it's a love story. The Lord Jesus is a divine bridegroom who seeks his bride in love, and enters into this covenant relationship where he lavishes the riches of his love on her. So that's the picture. I'd call the subtitle of this study tonight, "The wooing to Win." is what the Holy Spirit is doing. "To win Rebecca, to win her to Abraham's son." Genesis, again, he took Rebecca and she became his wife, and he loved her. Let me begin with a note. Isaac loved her, her who he had never met until now. And what that says to me is that we learn to love. Love is a learning experience. It's learning to love. So I remember David Hawking. I don't know how many of you remember David Hawking, a very well-known pastor down in Southern California. He used to say, just line the guys up on the right side, line the girls up on the other side, and just have them meet each other, and then go learn how to love each other. That's how he, that was just thinking, here, the thing. Because here, the choice is not Isaac's. It's Eliezer's through Abraham. And they were, the, the, the parents were deciding who you're going to marry. Now we think of that and go, I can't, what? <laughs> anyway. So in this chapter, the Holy Spirit is giving us, as I've already shared a little bit, some snapshots. Some Shadows some typologies, some pictures to understand this tremendous hope that we have in the love of God, in his commitment to us, in his wooing us to himself. Now we saw this dramatically and prophetically in Genesis 22. Same thing, pictures, types of the cross. When God said to Abraham, take now your son, your only son, and offer him on the mount that I will show you. And on that mount, several, many years later, is where it exactly happened that God offered up Jesus on a cross to die for our sins. To demonstrate to us just how much he loves us. And so Abraham makes his eldest servant, Eleazar, I believe, promise that he would go to the homeland of Abraham and find a wife for his son Isaac. Now, Abraham desired that this bride for Isaac would be from among his kindred and not from the daughters of the Canaanites where he was living at the time. Abraham is a spiritual picture, a type of God the Father. Then we have Isaac being a spiritual picture of Jesus the son, the bridegroom, the waiting bridegroom. You have Eliezer as a spiritual picture of the Holy Spirit. He's sent as the wooing one, the witnessing one, witnessing all about the father and the son in order to win Rebekah, the servant witnesses to the riches of Abraham, Isaac's father, that would be inherited by Isaac, but then also hers in marriage. That's the picture. And so I say, let the wooing continue. God and his love for us by the Holy Spirit. Rebecca is a spiritual picture of the beautiful virgin. Divinely met, called, chosen, and then lavished with gifts. Rebecca is a picture of the bride of Christ. Unknown to her, when she's going through her early years there, unknown to her that she was destined for this intimate relationship with Isaac. She discovered that. When she heard and saw the witness of the servant, when she saw things that were drawing her, the lavishes, the riches that, were, that, that this man, this Eliezer came with, and she sees this, she willingly chooses, this is beautiful, she willingly chooses to leave her earthly family so she would become his wife. Did she regret that decision? Never, ever. Well, I shouldn't say that. She probably had moments. (laughs) So in this spiritual picture, we see God the Father desiring to find a bride for his son. In order to do that, he sends the Holy Spirit to woo people, to call them, and prepare a people to respond, meet, and marry his son Jesus. Can you dig it? <laughs> so here the, let me outline the chapter. We'll do part two this week, this morning and two next week. This bride Abraham, first of all, sends his servant, you shall go and find a wife for my son. Secondly, this his servant went, and it happened, and we'll get into that. Then, his servant witnessed and worshiped and worshipped. And finally, Sarah responds, I will go, and I will be his husband. His, 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 his husband. I will go, take me, I will be his, his wife. That's the outline of the chapter. So first of all, Abraham sends his servant. You shall go and take a wife for my son Isaac, verses 1 through 9. And so he's the oldest servant of his house, but his name is not mentioned here. Now if we go back to Genesis chapter 15... We find there, after these things, we have that slide, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, he hadn't changed his name yet, God, hadn't changed his name. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. I believe the name's name is Eleazar. Interestingly, the word Eleazar means God, my help. The Holy Spirit is called the paracletus, the helper, one who comes alongside to help. So it helps us understand the picture which God has wanted to give us, the picture. Eliezer was sent to woo and win a bride for Isaac. That was his job. That was his commission. Just what the Holy Spirit does today. And not just in wooing us to salvation, but in wooing us in sanctification and ultimately in glorification at the marriage supper. He's at work always wooing us back to the love of God, the love of our bridegroom, Jesus, for us in this relationship we have with him. We'll look at the Ephesians scripture next week. Now, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would not be testifying of himself. Look at these scriptures. But the helper, there it is, the helper, the paraclete. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you all things that what? I said to you. Uh, He's gonna be the one, you're gonna be hearing my voice in your life. Again, John 15. It's amazing when you get to chapters 13, 14. 13 through 17, really going to the end of 21. But in these chapters, the la- that last night, the Holy Spirit is front and center. And Jesus said, You know, you've heard I'm going away and you're sad because I'm going, but I'm telling you, unless I go away, I can't, I'm not going to send the Holy Spirit. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. You're going to hear my voice, you're going to hear what I'm saying. As your husband, if you will. As your coming bride, your, your, your bridegroom coming. And then chapter 16. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the helper. He comes alongside to help us. So the wooing factors, the father and the son winning us with the riches of his love. And you read, you know, it's amazing to me. Read about the life of Jesus. His love was absolutely perfect, astounding, eternal. He would look at the the crowds and he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd and his heart would break for them. He's standing at at the tomb of Lazarus and he's weeping because of the weeping of the people. His heart and God's heart loves people. He wants to woo them to know his love, and so uh, Abraham says, "Please take your hand, verse two, under my thigh," and that was somehow how they made a commitment. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I've read a couple things, but in some ways, putting the hand on the thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family. And take your wife for my son Isaac. This is ownership. (laughs) This is relationship. So the wife was not to come from the Canaanites. Now Abraham's descendants were not to be from the Canaanites. Canaan was the son of Ham. Ham was the son of Noah. So Canaan was the grandson of Noah. And Canaan received a curse because of Ham and having seen the nakedness of his father, Noah, there was a curse that came on Canaan. So the Canaanites were a cursed people. And his descendants would not be, under the, would not be part of the Canaanites, part of, under the curse of God. And so verse 5, and the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? Notice verse 6. But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. He's saying, don't do it. Isaac was not to go back to the land of Abraham's birth. Just as Abraham declared the promised land to be his home when he bought the cave of Machpelah in the field, that's what was going on there. He said, I just need a plot of land. He was, he was now forsaking Mesopotamia and all that and saying, this is my land because this is what God promised me. I'm going to be, th- this land will be my land the promised land, and the same thing for Isaac. This land is where his descendants will be growing up, or they will inherit this land. So it's powerfully prophetic, and it's also filled with faith. Because God said to Abraham, this land is what I'm going to give you. Had he had it? No. He didn't have it yet. In fact, he never obtained it. But God promised it to him, and we're going to yet see that fulfillment. But you shall go to my country. Now, this, this servant... Eliezer, he's a seasoned vet. <laughs> he's been around. And so he knows sort of what's coming up. He, he's fully aware of the immensity of the journey. 500 miles. Now, camels, I'm red. I don't know if it's true, but maybe you know. It goes, they, they travel about three miles an hour. Camels. <laughs> and so you're talking about weeks of travel. So he knows the immensity that's before him if it's just traveling. Also, Go and find a wife? Well, how do I even know I'm going to find someone? But that's not what's on his mind. That's not what's bothering him at all. The traveling's not the issue, nor that he would find a wife. But when he found her, if she'd be willing to follow him back to the land, that's the question. So it's interesting, but I think this whole thing is filled with faith. The faith of Abraham. Eliezer has questions. You know, questions are not not contrary to faith. He just said, how's that going to work? What happens here? He's asking good questions. Questions are needed in the building up of our faith, understanding what's going on. Abraham had a deep relationship with God. He is the father of faith. Eliezer was with that for a long time. So this whole thing is filled a lot of faith behind Abraham's commissioning. He says he's the Lord. That's personal relationship. He's the God of heaven, but not only of heaven, he's the God of earth. So Abraham's fully aware that God is the one who can take care of anything. The Lord had wooed and won Abraham himself. Let me ask you a question. When you're gonna share with someone about why they should know our Jesus, is it not because of how you know Jesus? Jesus. What you've experienced with Jesus, how you've known his love. They overcame the devil by the word, by the blood of the lamb. And what? The word. of, In other words, the the word of the testimony is, I applied the blood. I know what God did for me. I know how much he loves me at the cross. So Abraham says, the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me. I think he emphasized the pronouns. To your descendants I give this land. He will send the angel before you, Eleazar. And you shall take a wife from my son from there. So the Lord God of heaven wooed. Now, as he wooed Abraham, Abram at the time, you know, there were a lot of hesitations. It wasn't a perfect response. But God always stays at it. With Abraham, he called him again. Go out of the land. So for Abraham, and I believe, I hope for us, there is no going back. I know the love of God. I know the Lord. I know the Lord of heaven, and I know the God of earth. I've been walking with him. I know him. And he had wooed Abram, and there is nothing to compare to any other relationship than a relationship with God. Nothing. In fact, all other relationships, any kind of intimacy must be built on the relationship we have with God and know the depth of them. Nothing could ever compare with the adventure of believing and obeying God and going out, trusting Him and believing Him. Nothing is greater than being a recipient of the unconditional promises of God for a future and a hope. The unconditional promises of God that are grounded in His unconditional love, His unilateral promises. That are for us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and how he knows who he loves, and that is us. Hebrews 11 says this. By faith, Abram dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. They were built in tents. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is who? God. That's Abraham's perspective on the whole thing. So he's saying, I'm sending you, Eliezer, because I believe he is sending you. I believe that he's sending you, so I'm sending you knowing that he's going to go before you just like he went before me. He's commissioning him by faith in knowing God. The same Lord God of heaven will send his angel before you. Now, verse 8. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, he's answering the question, then you will be released from this oath and do not take my son, only do not take my son back there. Yours is to woo. Yours is to persuade. Yours is to witness. Yours is to testify. Yours is to encourage, to do everything that you can to win her over and take her back with you. That's your job. Let me stop another minute here. Love does not behave rudely. Love is not provoked. Love does not pressure. Love does not manipulate. Love does never, never abuses, whether it's verbally, emotionally, and certainly not physically. That's not love. That's pride. There should be none of that that's, unrepent- that's not repented of in our relationships as husbands and wives. May God help us. Amen. May he help us to understand what love is. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It's not manipulated. It's not power struggles. It's asking God to change us to understand his love as I'm to be communicating that to my wife. How to communicate his respect with my husband, as Paul talks about in Ephesians. So, his servant, secondly, his servant went and it happened. I love it. And it happened. Now, before I get into this, but well, let's, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels, verse 10. As he went, it, it says it happened. I got an email this week from a brother I love in the Lord. And it's a, he, he asked me a very common question and his silent struggle with a common struggle. Because I, and I see it again in this study, it's amazing to me. And I believe and I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that God is speaking to us as this church, little c, maybe the church as a whole, I think I see that also, about the Great Commission. And sharing Christ with people. It seems like the study's just been lining up. Lowell, thank you for your part in that. The Word of God, amen. Putting things on our heart, on my heart. And here in this study, it's the same thing. And then I got this email from a brother whom I love. And in this case, he's writing out, he's at the point of tears and sleepless nights. Because the last couple of messages on sharing the gospel, being on the Great Commission, being on mission. He shared with me, he's feeling as introverts like total failure. Even after having taken many evangelism classes. Now, some of you might know exactly what that feels like. And he asked, does evangelism look the same for everyone? My answer simply is no, but that's not all I wrote. <laughs> it's not the same because we're not the same. We're different witnesses, if you will. We're made of different material. And all of them are part of God's creative genius and beauty. And then I, I just made a little note here to myself. Would to God that I was brought to tears and sleepless nights over the whole of how am I supposed to evangelize? I mean, to me, that was the essence of the battle, I went to God that I had that same battle in my. How am I going to win? And I feel so out of sorts. I feel so out of territory, out of comfort. How do I do that? Does it look the same? I, I, and I and I went around. I said, you know, thank you for reminding me. because this needs to be addressed among us. Because we, there's this idea that somehow to be to be a good Christian, you should be out on the streets and you should be preaching without without any hindrances, without any you know whatever, and just no. no let me say this to start out with. Paul prayed. Pray for me for you, that I might be given utterance that I may open my mouth to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. To the, right after that whole great Ephesian passage, Paul saying pray for me because I have trouble too. I want to open my mouth to make known the gospel, but I need your prayers because it is a spirit. Listen, it's a spiritual battle. Whenever you go out as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, you are taking to, into dark territory the light of love. And the devil does not like that. He's blinded the eyes of the unbeliever, lest they should see the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. He's going to keep them blinded as much as long as he can. And we're going out and we're just, you know, beggars telling people where to find bread. But we're fully equipped in Christ. So I said that. And then I emailed this, Charlotte, my wife, is like you guys. She is, an, she is not an overt evangelist. But I want to tell you, her life has impacted a lot of people because she knows Jesus, loves Jesus, and loves them. I'm crying for joy. <laughs> I'm the recipient. <laughs> so I, I wrote to this couple, really, your lives exude Jesus Christ. I see it all the time. I've been coming for many years. I said, introverts rock. Introverts rock. I said, I'm a covert introvert. I would never, I wrote, I would never want to squelch something God may be challenging you to do. But I also know that when God is doing a work in our hearts, it's always undergirded with hope. not despair and condemnation. He is the God of hope, Romans 15, 13. So it's a kind of looking forward to what God will do. Perfect love casts out fear. The Lord is not burdening us with a condemning guilt. He burdens us with his love. The Lord will encourage you to enjoy his love for you. Share that as you do. And thank him for what he has done, is doing, and will yet do in and through your life. And that will never be expecting you to become an extrovert. He loves you and made you just the way you are. So as we look at this passage, verse 10, The servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. So, I'm going to, this is, it's just interesting to me, it's fascinating to me, but as I'm studying, these things start surfacing, I realize, okay, here's another one on the Great Commission, but in this time, it's how do we woo people to win them to the love of Christ? I'm going to give you six factors that I see in this passage. And so it's the first one, the six factors, the first one is his plan. No, the plan is to go fully loaded with evidence of his master's greatness and goodness. Go fully loaded So he he takes 10 camels. He goes with one goal in mind. Because he loved his master. That's his motivation. Because he loved his master's son. He has one goal. It's to woo and win over the heart of a woman. Whoever she would be. That is what he's going to do. And that is what love does. For the sake of of Abraham, for the sake of Isaac, whom he loved. Love was what he's motivated. So Eliezer could have said, well, she responds, okay, but if not, whatever, I did what I'm supposed to do. That's not love. That's not, that's not gonna happen when, you're, when you love your master and you love his son and you have a job, you're not gonna just, oh, well, whatever. No, you're gonna go fully loaded to do, do everything you possibly can within the confines of what God has given to you, you're gonna take it out and you're gonna say, I'm fully ready, I'm fully loaded. Here's, a, here's all I know about my master. Here's all I know about his son. I'm gonna take with me 10 camels. I'm gonna load them up with all the riches, all the gold, all the earrings, all the nose rings, I'm gonna bring them and whoever sees me is gonna know, hey, I'm serious about what I'm doing here. He goes in full assurance of faith. How does he do that? Let me tell you. By doing all he possibly can to go out. He has a plan. Humanly speaking. He's going, to have, he's going to take everything. All of his resources. And realize there's one thing I'm called here. One thing I'm going to do. And that is I'm going to woo this woman. Whoever it is. To know the riches of my master. And the riches of his son. Now it's interesting to me. He knew when the woman, women would come. And knowing that. He was there when they came. He's doing everything he can to be ready to look, to see, to sort of scan the horizon. Let's, let me say, that's just a part of what we do. We understand what's going on. We, we have some kind of understanding of the sphere of influence we have, of how we're wired, of what we have. And, and we're going to try and do the best that we can because we love Jesus. Jesus. And we love God. We know he loves us. So I'm going. There's a plan here. And it's simply this. Go with one goal in mind. And that is to love. Just go with one goal in mind. To witness to the love, the greatness, and the goodness of your master. Secondly, God's providence now, I covered this in a study I did in October of last year. We're going through the book of Job, chapters 23 through 27. And it says, when life, when life isn't fair, and I talked all about the providence of God. We don't have time to get into that this morning. But God's providence is key to understanding the factors in what's going on. And God's providence should should encourage us tremendously because all the way through this narrative and really through the Bible is the invisible hand of God at work as, in this case, the servant Eleazar puts his plans in place by putting his hands to the work, putting his hands to the plow. So my choices are real and your choices are real. I make them not God. But in some mysterious way, providence of God. God is yet behind the scenes moving things along to his determined purposes of which we get to be a part of through every choice that I make and that you make whether good or bad. I don't know how all that works but that's what's going on. That's the providence of God. Grudem, who I love, theologian, he said, quote, exactly how God combines his providential control With our willing and significant choices, Scripture does not explain to us, unquote. So I would say there's a mysteriousness about it that's wonderful. In other words, if God were small enough to understand, He wouldn't be big enough to be God. But our God is bigger than all things. And so I'd love to find rest in the providence of God. That as I'm going about to do everything that I can, God is working through my choices. I don't always make the perfect choices. The right choices even. But God in his providence through his love. And let me say a huge factor that we'll, we'll look at here in, this, in these factors. A huge factor is my heart ready and willing to say, you know what? I'm not going the right way. I'm not doing the right thing. Repentance. It's huge. It's a part of God's providence. So let the wooing to win begin. Understanding his, that there's a plan I can put in place. God's providence behind that plan. I say go trusting God is with you and working through you. Trust that. Enjoy his love for you. Share that as only you do and can because you are unique and thank him for what he's doing. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not forget to do good and to share. With such sacrifice, God is well-pleased. So I would say, let go of what you can't bear and load it up and go with what you can share. Just do that. Now, third, his prayers to God. Verse 12. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Prayer may well be. In fact, as I understand what the Bible says, it is. The deciding factor. It's the difference maker to pray. And we've talked a lot about this. Not for himself, but for his master's sake. His motivation is for his master. And he's praying. So his prayers. Interesting, he doesn't pray for miracles. In the sense that we might think of a miracle. Now look it, behold, here I stand by the well of water, verse 13, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming to draw water. Now let it be that the young young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So he prays to not miss the appointed woman. I think you single... Guys ought to be doing the same. You want to be choosing wisely. So he says, I want to pick the one that you pick. Now, I believe that who you choose to marry is who God's picked for you now. You figure that one out. That's the commitment. That's what marriage is. It's making the commitment. You make it, and now God's going to show you how to love that person. You're going to learn to love. Now, It's interesting. How's he going to do it? He starts with a polite, simple, and respectful conversation. I'm just going to ask her something. And so that's interesting to me. It's not a miracle. I'm just going to ask her a question. Now, here's the thing I would put alongside this we complicate things, we make it so complicated. You know, Gideon, he put out a literal fleece. You can read that in Je- Judges chapter six. Not just one night, but two. He was looking for a miracle, saying, let the, le- let the fleece be wet, then let it be dry. And so he's saying, and God graciously answered him. But for me personally, God's never answered me seeking for, after a sign. In fact, there's been a couple instances that I'm embarrassed to even talk about when I'm reading a license plate or something. Oh, Okay. And I find, no, that wasn't God. That was a license plate. Just like that, just popped in my mind that advertisement, um, this, is your, this is your mission, the M&M. Remember that one? This is your mission. That's not a mission. That's an envelope. <laughs> okay, you have to see it. For me personally, I recognize God's invisible hand in the very ordinary interactions of life in my spheres of influence. Usually, as it's happening, I'll start to, oh, wow, this is sweet. Or many times after the thing has happened, I can see the hand of God. Now, this is not to the exclusion. In fact, another thing on my heart that I believe the Holy Spirit has put there for us is to be more sensitive to what God is saying and directing, how we're hearing his voice, to know what he's saying. I believe he's wanting to sharpen my spiritual senses as he does all of us. In other words, him speaking to us about things that are coming. But let me, let me say this. I'm, I'm going to run out of room, so we might, we might take this. In. Are you okay if we just end and take it to another week? You know what the problem is here? I'm not okay with that. I'm the perfectionist. We've got to have the bookends, okay? But I think there's a couple of things here on my heart, and I believe for the Lord for us. in This whole area. When it comes to deciding who you will marry, and I don't know that that's a large contingent here, but I know there are some, I think you who are married would say amen. I'd suggest you build your decision by having a million and one simple, polite, and respectful conversations so you can know this person. Very simple. I say the more the better. Don't complicate it. Find out. You'll find out. (laughs) You will find out in marriage what you never knew you didn't know about that person. And not just talking. Make sure you really understand how and where they're walking. As you will see, Rebecca was a hardworking woman. I believe a key indicator of a person's character is that person's work ethic. There are a whole lot of lazy entitlement mentality, what's in it for me and won't require anything from me, (laughs) dates ready for you. That match will have no problem mooching your bank account. They become a silver single with your silver. Now, I'm not opposed to dating sites. Hear me out. I know a lot of good things that have come out of them. But just be careful by what you are being wooed. Be careful. There are a whole lot of lively, life-of-the-party people who are spiritually dead. Dead. If, when you meet Mr. or Ms. Zusk, and they are not serving the Lord, almost guaranteed, if you meet them and they're not serving the Lord, when you marry them, they will stop serving the Lord. They will not be serving the Lord, because that's not what's in their heart. What's in their heart is to get you. And they got you now, conquered, we're done. Paul the Apostle said, I would spare you. So, are you clear? as to their beginning salvation? Are you clear as to their motivations? Are you clear as to their intentions? Are you clear on their direction? And I would say, son, daughter, what does your dad think about that person? Your mom? Are you willing to have a first and maybe another Polite, simple, and respectful conversation about that person? I think polite, simple, and respectful conversations are vital. I just want to have a conversation. I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask him. Time spent talking together is what breaks up the fallow ground. Seeds of love are sown, and the relationship grows. This is in marriage also. It's been said we must earn the right to be heard, indeed. I would say it this way. We must sow the seeds to be heard. How? Sowing politeness. Sowing respect. Sowing so that the sincerity and the listening is there that grows the relationship and opens up the heart. So let's let the wooing begin In the prayers, ask God to help you not complicate things. To help you relax and enjoy your conversations. That they can be normal conversations. You don't have to wiggle in Jesus. You just have to know that you are there because of Jesus. And however the conversation goes. And you know... There's so many commonalities that come up, and it's a simple beginning conversation. Really, you went to that college? Really, you you? you?" And that's where God begins to to let the wooing begin through our lives as believers. I don't know how I'm going to intro and start it next week, but would you stand with me? Let's pray.